We remain on our year-long journey of living the liturgical year with a liturgical calendar guiding us, shaping our formation as a congregation. Our scripture this morning is from 1 Timothy. Before reading the scripture, I'd actually like to lay a little bit of foundation and to provide some context. The letters of 1 and 2 Timothy, they have so very much to say to us about leadership. They spoke once of the need for leadership in the first, first century, and they speak to us now today about what it means to be a faithful leader. Keeping in mind that every one of us is leading and has some sort of sphere of influence in our homes, in our workplaces, in the public civic square, in the marketplace, in our schools, in our communities. These letters are a treasure. They are personal letters written to Timothy. They're called pastoral letters, actually. Whereas many other letters in the New Testament are written to churches, First and Second Timothy are written to an individual. Paul writes to his dear friend, Timothy, his traveling companion, ministry partner, and someone that he considered to be like a son. These letters are intensely personal, but they provide counsel and instruction to every generation that has ever lived. Paul wrote Timothy after leaving Timothy in Ephesus. Paul is now away and has been gone long enough to hear that there are new problems and misunderstandings within that community. So Paul writes to help Timothy to be a leader in a challenging time. There's much in these letters that help us in our challenging time of leading and loving. Paul lays out a couple of key points for Timothy as a leader. First, lead by hanging on tightly to the core truth of the gospel. Grasp the truth, teach the truth, and this truth is absolutely connected to scripture for Timothy and for Paul. And also, secondly, lead by exercising personal integrity. There's a line in one of these letters that says that Timothy should pay close attention to himself and to his teaching. As our friend Mark Roberts explains, it's not just about saying true things, but living them and being an example for others. Keeping the context in mind, let's now turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 6, which Thomas will now read for us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 19. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. 
He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Grace of God, what a privilege it is to be in fellowship with you. Speak to us and enliven us, breathe peace into our hearts and hope into our souls. All for Christ, we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago on a Thursday night, word began to spread as we prepared to board our flight in Dublin for Edinburgh that Queen Elizabeth had just died. What a poignant time to be in Scotland as I arrived an hour later to lashing rain in a country in mourning. On June 2nd, 1953, in the splendor of Westminster Abbey, a 25-year-old woman knelt before the Archbishop of Canterbury to seal the oath she had just sworn. When she died on September 8th, flags in Europe, Canada, and America were half-mast. Brazil declared three days of mourning. Australia's Prime Minister wept on camera. Jamaica declared 12 days of public tri tribute. Other nations too numerous to name followed suit. Why did she have such a profound impact across the globe? A recent article in Christianity Today suggests that the most basic answer is that because her faith in Jesus was deep and real. Throughout the course of her unprecedented reign, Queen Elizabeth II spoke frequently about her personal Christian faith. As a leader for more than seven decades, the Queen's faith anchored her while serving in a global public role under intense scrutiny from virtually every sector. In her first Christmas broadcast in 1952, the newly enthroned queen asked, pray for me that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. In 2016, she said, billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. In her 2020 Christmas broadcast, she articulated the importance of her faith, saying, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework which I try to lead my life. She expressed her belief and trust in love for God's word. 
Elizabeth once asked, to what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? Elizabeth set an example during tumultuous periods of historical change and technological advancement, crediting her own personal faith and belief in God as her anchor amid the many storms. Much was closed during my day in Edinburgh due to national mourning and preparing for her arrival, the arrival of her coffin in a few days' time. So after breakfast that morning, I made my way. I walked down to Holyrood House, the Queen's official Scottish residence, as flowers and tributes began to flood in and to see the official notice of the Queen's death on the palace gate. There were many drawings from children, a few marmalade sandwiches for later. People gave thanks for her wisdom, kindness, dedication, and for how she had dedicated her life to others. Her love for Christ was highlighted, noted more than anything else was her sacrificial service. What a privilege it was to be there during such an historic time. It sure was not the day I had envisioned or planned for while in Edinburgh, but instead was a quiet but good day to think about, to reflect upon Queen Elizabeth and to give thanks for her service, her character, her steadfastness, and to consider my own service as well. As I stooped down to read tributes, this particular note caught my attention. I bet at times you wished you could run away, that you thought, why me? But never once did you let that show, not once such was your incredible sense of duty, of selflessness. You are an incredible example to us all. In several places in the New Testament, athletic imagery is used to describe the life of faith. Here we have Paul's encouragement <clears throat> to fight the good fight of faith. In a second letter, he'll describe the life of faith as a race, not a sprint, but a marathon, a really, really long, difficult marathon. The finish line is distant and blurry out in the distance. It's not an easy race, but a difficult race filled with struggle. Because of its length and difficulty, the risk of tiring and dropping out is real. Timothy is facing a challenging time of leadership. Perhaps he wishes that he could throw in the towel. So Paul writes to motivate his dear friend to endurance in the Christian faith. Paul instructs him first to flee evil, and then he focuses on things to pursue. Some of what he is to flee is fleshed out earlier in this letter. There, there are people who teach incorrect doctrine, promote unhealthy ideas, have a warped craving for controversy, are greedy for their own personal gain. They have abandoned, abandoned their faith. They have inflicted their own wounds. Paul says, flee this. But then he talks about things that he should pursue. Of course, he'll not do any of this per perfectly, but these are some markers 
that he can focus his life upon. Six characteristics he names. First, he mentions righteousness and godliness. These are two horizontal vertical, or excuse me, horizontal virtues that are directed toward our relationship with God, directed to God himself. Righteousness, that we are justified by grace, and godliness, that we are set apart by God, consecrated by God for God's purposes. We have the very common virtues of faith and love, and then we see the virtues of endurance and gentleness, these vertical virtues, these dimensions of our life together. Endurance often mentioned in the presence of suffering. And gentleness, which sure is needed as we deal with difficult people. Paul reminds Timothy that no matter how intense the opposition, how powerful his opponents, Timothy serves the God who is truly powerful, whose transcendent glory is overwhelming. In the similar 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, with a good conscience, Paul looks back. He knows that he has given it all. He knows that he has fought the good fight, that he has finished the race, that he has kept the faith. Paul looks back and reflects with gratitude for the grace of God. And Paul longs for Timothy as well to focus on this prize for the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give him on that day. And for Timothy to be steadfast in his faith and in his calling. Friends, things will work out in the end. There will be a triumphant conclusion. Life in the middle is difficult. There are personal trials, hard times, the death of dreams, disappointments, the death of people precious to us, evil, and failures. This is a part of our life together in the middle facing the ugly details and the meaningless routines, all the while stubbornly insisting that this unlovely middle is connected somehow to a grand beginning and a glorious ending as we live in the already but not yet. Eternal life is that to which Timothy is called and which is already therefore in his grasp as it is in ours, which motivates our service in our giving. New uh, N.T. Wright asserts that people who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the presence, in the present. Let me read that again. People who believe in the resurrection in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. Back to my time in Scotland. The reason I traveled to Edinburgh the final week of my time overseas earlier this month was to do a bit of heritage work around my Scottish grandmother. 
On my last day then, I made my way to a small rural village of Churnside, where my grandmother lived and worshiped as a child in a church of Scotland Parish, founded in the 12th century. I've shared with you before that my maternal grandmother greatly impacted my faith, greatly impacted my faith. Losing both of her parents by the age of eight, her dad died when she was two, her mom died then when she was eight. She traveled alone at the age of eight, actually she was almost nine, on a ship from Scotland to live with distant relatives in America. Her family in that church community pulled together the resources that they had so that they could send my grandmother to the new world, as she always called it, to the land of opportunity. She didn't want to go. Leaving that little rural town in Scotland was all she knew, and leaving meant that she would be leaving behind the person now most precious to her, her little brother. But sent she was. Unbeknownst to her family, distant family members agreed to take her in because they wanted a servant. Trapped for nearly two decades, help and rescue eventually came in the form of my stubborn grandfather when grandma was 27 years old. My grandmother's life had a difficult beginning and more trials came. After her rescue and a sense of prosperity, becoming married and the birth of four children, there came a failed business venture for my grandfather and bankruptcy and a scary health journey with one of their kids that lasted for years and ultimately for the last years of her life, the darkness of dementia. Yet, regardless of life's circumstances, she was able to ebb and to flow during times and between times of prosperity and times of trouble with great grace. I've wanted to worship at that old Presbyterian church Grandma would talk with me about for many years. Two Sundays ago, I did so. <laughs> I had the joy of getting to worship with this small congregation who welcomed me with great love, who were encouraged to know of my grandmother's faith that lives on in me. It was an absolute gift to draw near. It was an emotional morning, sitting in the same old, uncomfortable pews <laughs> that my grandmother sat in, looking into the three balconies, wondering which balcony was the one that my great-grandmother sat in when she sang in the choir, talking with folks, who likely have, were descendants of people who had shaped and touched and loved my grandmother. Throughout her life, my grandma's Christian faith anchored her. Her faith in Jesus was real and deep. There's purpose to her journey, and much of the treasure of that good foundation was stored up by that community. Friends, we have an incredible opportunity as a congregation to invest ourselves so that others and ourselves may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
to be good, to do good, to be rich in good works, to share liberally with others, with children at risk, with people hurting in our city, with brothers and sisters in faraway places like Cuba and Senegal and Belize, and with each other. To do so, to pull this off, we need community. It is not God's desire for us to fend for ourselves or to survive on our own. We live in difficult times, times when staying the course and being true to our faith is definitely a challenge. We need people in our lives to encourage us and to pray for us who know our fears and our deepest longings. We depend on others for our faith. Bonhoeffer says that Christ is always stronger in your brother's heart than in your own. Which is to say first that we depend on others for our faith, yes, and second, that the love of Christ is something that we never can hoard. Community is absolutely necessary. Paul and Timothy depended on each other for their faith. I depend on you for my faith. You are a sign to me of God's love and faithfulness to God's people. Which is why traveling to that rural town of Churnside, Scotland has been on my bucket list for over 20 years. I long to draw near to the church that my grandmother would talk with me about that had loved her so well, that little Presbyterian church that was an early signpost of God's love, not the building, but the people. That's why she stayed so close to the church in Scotland and in America throughout her life. Because no matter how frightened or discouraged or lonely she became, she knew that the people of her church would help her to find her way back to God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, what, that is what we do as the church. Having a kingdom perspective means we think about and we invest in what will really last. How grateful I am that others invested in my grandmother. Being a faithful steward, that's our job. We are God's stewards, living in a place we do not own, making full use of it, but always keeping in mind that we are caring for things and people who belong to someone else. It's a position of significant responsibility and trust. Friends, true wealth, it consists not in what we keep, but in what we give away. Not in what we keep, but in what we give away. As you consider your own service, how might God be calling you to work for God's new world in the present in order that an individual or a group of people might flourish and be more fully alive? The one who is out at front, look to him. See how Jesus ran his race, our example in all things. The Lord will give you strength and vision to keep going, no matter the circumstances of life. We're in this together. Let's keep encouraging one another to follow Jesus so that we can fight the good fight of faith.
and all of God's people together, we say, Amen. Pray with me. Creator God, you love us with a reckless love and welcome us with abandon. We long to take hold of the life that really is life. Create in us such a sense of wonder and delight in all your gifts that we might receive them with gratitude, care for them with love, and generously share them to the honor and glory of your name. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.